You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Arise fam. I'm happy to be here with you guys this morning, even if virtually. Um, I'm just always excited to be before you here and uh, bring God's word. Uh, I, <laughs> I laugh because Pastor Steve uh, uh, asked me if I wanted to preach, and I'm the, I'm the fool that always just says yes without asking what verse. Uh, I remember one time I got, I got asked to preach, and it was, uh, the pastor was taking the day off and wanted me to come in and fill in, and later did I realize it was Father's Day, so it was... But, this isn't one of those moments, but it is one of those uncomfortable moments in a sense that the passage we're about to speak on is, is talking about the family dynamic. And in many cases, uh, when you say, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, immediately all kinds of things rush into our thinking and into our heart and into our mind. Uh, let, me, let me just acknowledge this. <clears throat> I'm going to go from 18 to 21. But at first, I want to acknowledge that there's no entering into this portion of Scripture without bringing with us a ton of baggage. Uh, Nobody has been raised perfectly. No one raised their children perfectly. And uh, all of our experiences are different, and all of our experiences as humans are tainted. So it's not that we're going to come to this passage and see some uh, sort of ideal that is achievable it's everything that we're going to talk about right now is only in the context of being in, in Christ. So let me, let's back up. Pastor Steve started with uh, beginning this whole thing with us in chapter 3, and where we're talking about uh, being in Christ. So the, the baggage we bring here, let me just back up a second. The baggage we bring, uh, sometimes it's a fearful and dreadful thing when we hear passages like this, because in our experience, we have so much pain and mistrust and personal abuse that it's hard to come into this little verse in this section and like be excited about God's word. And, and to that, I say, I'm with you. There's not, there's not things, uh, and well, let me just say this. It's not that the scripture is wrong, but it's that our experience is wrong. And so I, I agree with you. Like, it's hard. It's hard to see this. But in Colossians, it's not about the enslavement of someone or about the abuse of anyone, but it's about setting forth a new way, a new way for the family unit that is in Christ. Like many things, apart from us trying to do this, apart from the transformative power of the gospel, is impossible. Unless grace has washed over us, unless we're, our heart is in such a place where we can experience God's grace for ourselves and turn around and give God's grace towards others, this will be a, a, a burden for us. If we don't have that first experience of grace in which we can turn around and then give that grace away, this whole process is for naught. It's, it's a waste of our energy. But the truth is, nobody is perfect in intimacy is messy. There's never going to be a situation in the family dynamic where being intimate with each family member, in this case, husbands and wives, father, husband, uh, fathers and children, 
and then even children to their parents, there's not going to be any circumstance where it's not some kind of thing where it's just easy. This is not a pad answer. This is the highest calling, and therefore, because it's the highest calling, it's probably going to be the most difficult thing. So apart from the grace of Jesus Christ covering all of this, the gospel covering all of this, it's, it's, it's a labor, um, it's a burden. But I want to pray for you right now because I know we haven't even really got into the verse yet. And I realize that there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt from, uh, from the, pra- the misuse and mispractice of this verse. Um, so I'm going to pray for us as we dive into God's word. But I want to pray for those who are hurting too, who, who hear these verses and just think about being controlled by the tyrannical father and mother. And so I, let me pray for us before we dive into God's word here. And, but I want to pray for you specifically if you're suffering from this. God, Lord, none of us have a perfect family experience by no means, Lord. And Jesus, unless we can experience the grace that you've given us, Father, uh, all these things are burdensome to us. So God, I just want to pray right now uh, as we dive into your word, let your word be true and let our hearts be deceitful among, uh, above all things, Lord. Father, let your word sift us. Let your word comfort our experiences. And Father, I want to pray right now for those who have been hurt by people who have, who have mishandled the word of God and used the word of God to, con- be, to control their, their family or whatever, uh, to be abusive, whatever, whatever the excuse was, Lord, that that uh, in, they did something in Jesus' name that was not honoring to you, God. They took your name in vain. I just want to pray for those people who hear these verses and just immediately feel suffering and pain. And, and I just pray, Jesus, that as we dive into your word, God, that you would give them peace, that they might hear your spirit and not their earthly father. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And uh, that's where we'll stop for today with that. Um, we can't separate this passage from the context, as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier. We get into trouble when we treat passages like this as statements regarding a certain topic. The whole of this passage is about walking in our new identity in Jesus Christ. This is new creation talk. Be mindful that we bring with us old creation issues into our process of becoming what God has established for us in Christ. Do you guys hear that? This is new creation talk. You can't, you can't just do this out of your own energy. This is only something that happens that you even have a desire for because the Spirit of God dwells within you, okay? So we bring with us our old creation issues, and we bring them into the process of sanctification, of becoming the thing that God already sees us as. So just be, be wareful of that. Be, be aware of that. It's a constant battle to put off the identity or lack of identity that our earthly fathers gave us. No matter how good or bad their efforts were, our constant search to fill the gaps 
of the identity given or not given by our earthly fathers always ends in disappointment. We must find our identity in Christ if we ever expect to walk in the fullness of God's presence. We must put aside insufficient ways of seeking momentary relief from people's approval and delve into the deep richness of finding our identity in Christ. Again, fam, I might be laying this foundation for a long time here in this sermon before we even get into this, but because I want you to see that this foundation, without this foundation, we're just trying to work something for betterment. We're just, we're just offering a, a, a works of making your life good. And that's not at all what we're talking about. What we're talking about is being so in Christ that the new thing that we're called to do that flows, flows out of that identity of being in Christ and not from a place where this is what we do as Christians. This is how we behave as Christians. No, fam, this is about us already being in Christ and because the Spirit of God has access to our heart and we surrender to him, then out of that surrender, that relationship of surrender and obedience to Jesus Christ, we can then go forward in the design pattern that he has for our family, for us between our husbands and wives and between parents and children. Our fathers didn't create us, okay? I hear it all the time from young men. I, um, I've discipled, uh, mentored a lot of church planners, and, it, and it all, we always end up talking about their father, because for, for some reason or another, God makes the father in the family an important person, and we'll talk about that. But listen, our fathers didn't create us. You hear me? Your father did not create you. He stewarded you. And when we're talking about stewardship, really, we're just talking about doing the very best we can with something that's not ours. I, 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 will, I will do the best to see... Uh, to see my children in the way that God sees them, but I have eyes that are getting old, and this 150 is going to be a 175 pretty soon because I don't see good, and my eyes are getting weaker. But here's the thing. When Christ looks at the children, he has, the creator has something specific and special that he has made. When he looks at our wives, he sees something specific that he has made for them to be. And for us, uh, when we think about our earthly fathers, they did the best they could with the things they had. And maybe they didn't put a lot of energy or effort into it. And maybe they just did what was passed down from them, from their father before them. But despite all of that, as believers, we have access to know and to seek what God, the creator, the one who loves us perfectly, we have access to, to seek the thing that he has for us. We have access to walk in the thing that he wants for us, the way that he has made us perfectly. And so when we talk about this section of scripture, we're not talking about, we're not talking about our earthly father and their, their tyranny and their anger and their impatience all things that I have done as a dad, okay? This isn't about, this isn't about uh, you hearing me say that I'm a master in all of this, because I'm not. Because, as we'll talk about later, this hits me hard, okay? But when you're the creator, you want the creation to operate in its full capacity of its created purpose without insecurity or with, and without wavering. 
This is why Paul begins this portion of scripture with, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things on this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay? So we laid the foundation, right? This is about being in Christ. This is the paradigm for us, for those who are in Christ, so that now that we are in Christ, we can think about what Christ desires for us and what is best for us, really, ultimately. So now we fast forward to verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. We'll, we'll deal with that verse first. Uh, I was, as I was studying, I was reading Warren Wiersbe. He says this, Headship is not dictatorship or lordship. It is loving leadership. In fact, both the husband and the wife must be submitted to the Lord and to each other. It is a mutual respect under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I, uh, I often start uh, wedding ceremonies with Ephesians 5.21. And Paul, Paul pre- uh, in a parallel passage in Ephesians, Paul starts this section in Ephesians with the same verse. He says, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So wives, when we're talking about wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, it is not outside of any context, okay? It's not outside of any context that is, um, that is about the husband being the, the only person in charge, okay? You can't separate this from the very next verse. It's about a mutual respect. It's about mutual submission. And both of your submissions to each other are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, so we can, we can have lordship to an imperfect person because of the grace that we have received because we're not ultimately submitted to our husband. We're ultimately submitted to Christ. Our context is in Colossians and it's a, a new way in Christ, right? It's a new family. So let's start with the assumption that in marriage, there is an agreed mutual affection that hopes, cares, works towards, and desires the best for the relationship. I mean, it might seem kind of uh, strange that I would have to say something like that, but the reality is, in today's world, is that many people dwell only on the negative or the, um, not just the negative, but the things that are difficult in the relationship. And yet, they don't put any energy into cultivating the things that are good, the, very, the things that, that drew them together originally. They willfully dwell on what is negative instead of the things that brought them together. Uh, remembering uh, John writes, um, he calls in Revelation, and he basically calls us to remember our first love. But it, it's not just an action that we just do in our relationship when we remember the first things of what God did in our relationship with him when we first knew him, but it's something that we do in our relationships with each other. We don't, we don't singularly focus on the, the way that the person hurt us, right? Because where is the grace in that? Where is the forgiveness in that? 
where is the redeeming, where is the redemption of Jesus that took place in your heart in focusing on the thing that is that bothers you the most about your spouse? J.I. Packer says this, all leadership is a form of ministry rather than of tyranny. And these domestic leadership roles must be fulfilled in love. The call for wives isn't to give in to the tyranny of your husband. Absolutely not. Like we're not for that. If your husband is being a tyrant, Pastor Steve, Pastor Sean, and Elder Dan, we want to know about that. And we want to deal with that. We want to disciple men how to be leaders in their homes without being tyrants over their families. Like, bring, a, bring us in. But, but that's beside the point right now. But the point of what I'm saying is, listen, uh, it is a call to be willfully underneath his leadership for the mutual uh, blessing of the relationship. It's doubtful that a wife who loves Jesus so much that she is willing to follow her godly husband will get to the end of her submission to her husband and find that she's miserable. Like, no, if your husband is godly and he's not asking you to do stupid things or he's not asking you to walk in sin, your submission to him is going to end in your joy. I mean, and it's not a perfect process. Like, it's not to say that there won't be hardship, there won't be difficult things. It's not to say that you're going to have a child that doesn't have cancer or um, it's not going to say that you don't have a family member that's not going to suffer or whatever it may be. It's not, a, it's not a promise that things will go well with you. It's a promise that you're going to have joy in your relationship with your husband. And, and sometimes that, that is going to be difficult. Uh, you know, it's an opportunity for us, to, for wives particularly, to push back on the culture's narrative that you don't need your husband's anything to be happy. Remember, this is new creation talk in the context of a mutually submissive relationship. Funny story. Um, it's the day before my wedding, and um, I'm super excited, 31 years old, uh, never thought I was going to get married, uh, well, actually, I wanted to get married. I just didn't see a woman on the horizon, and, and God brought Christine. And uh, it's the day before, and I come from a big Mexican family with lots of tradition, lots of expectations, spoken and unspoken. Um, my mom is a strong woman. My dad's a strong man. Uh, so my mom comes to me the day before uh, my wedding and says, what time will, be at, will you be at our house? Uh, what time will you be at our house? the day after the wedding. And I was like, oh, you know, mom, I don't know. Like, cause I already know like Christine doesn't want to go to my parents' house at the day after the wedding. It's a tradition in our, in our family. I don't know where it started. And I don't know if it's a Mexican thing or if it's whatever it is, but the day after the wedding, you go to grandma's house, mama's house, whoever, whoever's hosting, Grandma or mama makes a big pot of pozole or some uh, menudo or whatever it is. Everyone gets together. All the cousins come over because, you know, it's not a small wedding probably. And ours wasn't small. We had cousins f- drive in and fly in and from all over, like, all over. It's cr- it, it becomes a crazy thing. The point is, the whole family's there. 
And I'm like, hey, Christine, uh, my mom wants to know what time we're going to come over. And she says this, okay? I don't want to do it. I just want it to be you and me, you and I. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure I'm getting married tomorrow now. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I'm not even one day into my marriage. I'm pre-day one marriage. And my mom's expectations are now butting heads with my wife's expectations. And so my wife, she goes, so Christine, pre-married wife, right? Uh, she goes to her dad and I'm like, we got to do this. This is tradition. Like, you know, like this, I, I never had any other thought aside from going to my mom and dad's house and opening our gifts and eating tons of food the next day. Like that never crossed, that never even like, there wasn't a second thought about it. But for Christine, she didn't grow up with 500 cousins, and she never envisioned a 300-person wedding. And she has a nice, small family unit, and they have their traditions. And, and going to the house of your new mother-in-law was not one of them the day after your first night of marriage, if you know what I'm saying, right? So I'm like, oh, man. She goes, and she's crying to her dad, and... My father-in-law, in his godliness, <laughs> I say godliness. No, he's a godly man. But what I'm saying is uh, he looks at her and tells her, Christine, maybe this is your first opportunity to submit to your husband. And in that moment, Christine felt peace, which is only by God's hand because I was sweating bullets. Like I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. The first thing, I'm going to force my wife to go to this tradition we have. (laughs) Anyways, but God spared me from having to be a tyrannical jerk in that situation. Uh, Was it something worth fighting over? Probably not. Was it sacrificial for her to come to her new family's house after the first night of our marriage? Absolutely. Um, But listen, it filled me with confidence and with respect in being the leader of our newfound marriage. Women, did you know, wives, did you know that your husband, above almost anything else, desires respect? Author Shanti Feldman wrote a book several years back called For Men Only, where she kind of delves into helping men understand the mind of women. Um, Predominantly husbands and wives, right? He wants She wants husbands to understand their wives. So she writes, but then she did a follow-up book a couple years later from such the great response that she had. And she was kind of blown away because she wrote a book called For Women Only, which is talking about men. And in that, one of the things she discovered was that men desire respect. She said this, while it may seem foreign to us as women, while it may seem foreign to us, the male need for respect and affirmation, especially from his woman, is so hardwired and so critical that three out of four men would rather feel unloved than disrespected or inadequate. So we'll move on to the husbands now. I feel like that's just a lot, and I'm just going to let it sit there and let you guys think about that. And I'm happy to give you guys my notes if you guys want my notes. There's probably a lot more that can be said in all of these, but we're going to talk about the husbands. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
Man, if you're like me, you read that and you just feel like a failure like right off the bat. Like right off the bat, I'm like, oh, what, how many days do I got to do that? Like because that for me is an impossibility, but it's not an impossibility because the spirit of God is in me and I want to honor Jesus, right? I would not ever say that I don't want to honor God. I do want to honor God and I do want to honor Jesus. And part of that honoring Jesus isn't me just going through our marriage being myself because that's the way I am. But it's me saying, okay, I am going to bring myself low because I want to be like Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus in the way that I treat and love my wife. Uh, Men, you should feel the weight of this passage um, because guess what? You get mentioned twice. Your wife gets mentioned once, your child gets mentioned once, but guess who gets mentioned twice? You do. You should feel the weight of this because, listen, it's on us to be the, to be the model of Jesus' leadership, right? It's our responsibility to lead as Jesus led. Spoiler alert, right? Jesus died for his body, bride, like we don't get to, there's no, there's no part where we get to hold on to ourself because we're uncomfortable or because, um, because we feel like we're being changed or because we're losing something. Like there's no part of us as men that gets to hold on to what we think we are. Like every part of us has to be laid down before Jesus and followed in his footsteps, right? That he's gonna, he died for his bride, so it, it's on us to die for our bride. Do we really expect that she should, be, she should be bent towards all of our affections, that she should be bent towards all of our traditions? Yeah, maybe in that moment I thought, she's my wife, she has to come to my parents' house, that's our tradition. But the, the truth is, is that I did the best I could to tell my mom that there's a chance we're not coming tomorrow. And, and the reality is, is like, I would have been sad, but I also was aware that, that like, I think this is how I'm going to honor my wife. This is how I'm going to die to my wife if she doesn't want to do this. <clears throat> Paul expects us to be gentle. He tells Timothy, uh, or he writes in Timothy, he says, um, I desire that men in every place should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. You know, while women of the day were largely considered second-class citizens, Paul's call then is to be gentle with your wives, right? What's, what's, what's he saying if he's not saying that, like, your hand that should be raised to God should be holy, not with anger or with quarreling? right? It has to do with your relationship to your wife. It has to do with your relationship with your family. It has to do with the fact that like in this new paradigm, in our identity in Christ, things have to be different. You know, women are no longer second-class citizens. They were never were second-class citizens. This is just how the culture treated them. But the Paul saying, women shouldn't be thought of as second-class citizens, but as co-heirs and equals in, the, uh, uh, in Christ, not objects of wrath. I remember pretty clear my first phone call I had with my father-in-law. 
I was letting him know my intentions. I, ha- I lived in Hawaii at the time, and I didn't know, um, yeah, Christine was going to move out to Hawaii. I'd never met her parents or her family, and uh, we were dating, long-distance relationship. We knew each other before, but um, I called her dad, you know, awkward phone conversation, like, hey, I'm the guy who wants to marry your daughter. So I called her, I called her dad, and I remember telling him, and I can hear his voice still saying, you know, Carlos, Christine is like fine china. And I think that's all I heard from the whole conversation. Christine is like fine china. But I also remember the night before I made the phone call, I had a dream about a bull in a glass shop. Like it was, it's a, it's a proverbial like saying, right? Like, oh, don't be a bull in a glass shop. I actually had a dream about it. And so the next day when I get on the phone, and uh, we call him granddad now, obviously. He's got four grandkids by us. We call him granddad. Granddad, when, and I still remember hearing his voice. So the next day when I get on the phone with, with uh, my father-in-law, and he says, you know, Carlos, Christine is like fine china. I know immediately I'm the bull and she's the glass. And it's my responsibility to not thrash around my big, heavy body, my horns, and just like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to wreck shop with her. She's beautiful and intricately made and hand-painted hand and yet very fragile. You know, 13 years later, I'm in my garage trying to find some sanity because like, my garage is like my safe space, right? It's my, uh, it's my cry room, I guess we would call it. <laughs> if, you can have a, if a man can have a cry room. Uh, yeah, so I'm in my garage a couple of months ago, uh, and I'm praying. And I'm like, Lord, I just feel the weight of my family. I feel the weight of responsibility for my family. Like, I'm just, I just feel them. And yet... Like they have, they have so much, um, they need me so much and I can't be the guy. Um, and I was just feeling inadequate. Like I don't have enough energy to be the father of four children. So I'm praying for Pastor Steve because he's the father of eight children. Pastor Sean is father and so on, right? But the point of what I'm saying is, so I'm asking the Lord to show me what do I need to work on, Lord? Like what do I need to, what do I need to work on? And I, it's like I don't, even, I don't even need to finish my sentence because he's already putting things in my heart. So I write down forth five things, right? The first thing is grace with my love. I, God wants me to work on grace with Christine um, because I can find myself being harsh. Didn't we just read about that? Yes, we did. Pastor Carlos, are you telling me that you're harsh with your wife? I am. I'm telling you that at times when I'm in my flesh, and I want what I want, that I can be harsh with my wife. And God told me, you need to have grace for your wife. Second thing he tells me, you need to work on problem solving with Cooper. You know, uh, she's like me in so many ways. And, uh, you know, sometimes the people you have the hardest time with are the people who are exactly like you, right? And so sometimes me and Cooper, we're best friends, but we're also like, like we're all over each other sometimes. And uh, God was showing me I need to be work on problem solving with her. I need to have, work on quality time with Nellie. I need to work on endurance with Carlos. And I need to work on discipline with Amalia, right? She's the baby, and she knows how to, like, smile cute and just do her thing. And 
the children, the other children just bow to her and like give her away. And so like God's showing me all these things. And then it's funny because a month later, what happens? Pastor Steve gives me a call, says, hey, Carlos, can you preach? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And what's it about? It's about these very same things I wrote down on a piece of paper in my garage two months ago. God has a funny way of making us wrestle with the things that we would rather avoid. Like as men, you know, we just move on. And it's not because, uh, it's not because we want to wrestle with the weight of the things. We just move on because it's easier not to. It's just easier to go, to go do something else. I can be successful in Call of Duty and blow things up and finish the level and feel accomplished. Or I can stay engaged with my family and, and it's like, yeah, like, I'm not suggesting we all go do Call of Duty. I'm just saying it's not natural for us to stay in there. So God had a way of making me wrestle with the thing that I would sometimes rather avoid. But he doesn't bring, our li- the, he doesn't bring to light our weakness so that we can feel inadequate. He brings to light uh, our, our struggles and our weakness so that we know that he loves us. Because it's his discipline that proves his love for us. Now think about that. We live in a society where any thoughtful critique of you or what you're, what you're thinking about is considered as like negativity and like you shouldn't be thinking about that. And why? You're just a negative person. When really like God's saying, no, if I love you, I'm going to bring conviction to the way you act and the way you are. Not because I want you to become a robot, but because I love you and you represent me in this world. Uh, Children, if you're listening, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Arise, kids. uh, Listen, we're going to be going over the Ten Commandments over the next several weeks. And we're going to be talking more about that. So if you're listening to Pastor Carlos right now, Arise, kids, I see you, okay? I'm with you. I love you guys. And we're going to be dealing with that, okay? So obey mom and pop, and we'll talk more about this later. Now back to dad. Here we go. Dads, you've got to feel the weight of this, right? Uh, uh, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now I'm going to say something right now, and we're, we're winding down here. I want to say something, and I want you to lean in and listen closely, all right? There was a time when the father knows best mentality was prevalent. But the, the families from which that was coming from may have unknowingly been in codependent relationships with an abusive father. Okay? You're like, what does that have to do with fathers not provoking your children, right? Well, well, follow me here. And there's, there's still a lot of many unhealthy, there's still many unhealthy families out there who are submitted to the tyrant, right? Father knows best, father knows best. Um, and, and they're hiding behind the scripture like this where dad gets to be in charge. But the truth is, is if dad is not like acting like Jesus, then then it's not okay for you to be abused. And it's not okay for you to stay, um, to stay in a place where you, you're, uh, 
Let me see. How, how can I say this? God wants you to see this and not be hurt by the scriptures if your abuser is your father and he's mishandled the word of God, then I want to call you and I want to ask you to forgive your father, not to, not to shake the dust off your feet in some sense, but to forgive your father and to seek Jesus. Listen, there's good men and good husbands out there who are seeking to be like Jesus. And um, it's not okay for, for it to be a, a it's not okay for, the, for there to be any abuse, and it's not okay for it to continue. Um, additionally, I want to say this. We live in an age where a man is so emasculated of his leadership that he is unwilling to set loving boundaries for his children in fear that they might reject him. I mean, everything we see in uh, today's culture, it's like the opposite of provoking our children. In fact, uh, I would say this. The scripture says, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, we're so afraid of our children being discouraged that we don't set any boundaries for them. And we don't, set any, we don't give them any discipline. And so even though there is a time and there's a place where uh, the dad was the tyrant and that's not acceptable because we don't need fathers imposing their will on children and discouraging them. Neither is it okay in our day, in our age, where men have been so emasculated of their leadership, of their headship in the home, that, that men are afraid to do what is right for their children and setting appropriate boundaries and setting discipline for your children. Families are so concerned about creating perfect little babies that are, that are unscathed that we're, we protect them from the wrong things. You can, let's see, how's it going, let's see. Yeah, there it is. You can give your child the best, but if you give them the best without moderation and discipline, you're actually giving them the worst. Do you hear that? It's like, yeah, before there was a time where it was like the case, the, the case was more often that uh, we were provoking our children out of trying to control our children. But I think we're in a place now too where the same is true for the opposite. And I think God's heart is to say, you can provoke your children by not giving them healthy boundaries. You can, um, you know, Christine and I taught Sunday school at one of our former churches for a couple years when Cooper was was um, just a baby. And the thing that I noticed the most is that some children would come in from a broken home or from a single mom home or, or, or they, would come, they would come in and they were just the wild kids, the kids that like just, they come in, they're out of control. The very first thing I would do is I'd pull them aside, i set boundaries with them. And you know, without, without a doubt, almost every time the parents come back and say, what did you do? And they said, I told them no. I set boundaries for them. And the way children will interpret love is not, and the way they talk about love is going to be different. The way children will talk about love is like, you never do this for me. <laughs> you never let me watch cartoons, or you never let me do this during the day, 
we always have to eat our vegetables. Like that's in their childish, immature way. That's how they process and how they think. But when you set boundaries on them, that's how they interpret and feel love. When you set boundaries, healthy boundaries, for them to, uh, uh, where you set space for them to struggle and to have difficulty, but you're also caring for them, but you're also doing it in a manner that is, it's not overly concerned with their discomfort or their discouragement, but it's concerned with being a parent that comes alongside and helps our children through those things. It helps our children be resilient through those hard times and through the things that are difficult so that we're actually raising children with resilience. We're not just giving our children what they want because that's what the culture tells us we should do with our children because that's what the culture tells us that to love our children, we have to give them the best of everything. But that's not the scriptures, that's not the scriptures call for us as parents for our children. The scripture calls us not to provoke them, to be, not to be too overbearing, but at the same time, not to just let them be whatever they, uh, th- whatever they think is best for themselves, but to give them love and care and discipline. You know, so much more could be said about all of this, and I do trust that God can and does fill in the gaps. Uh, listen, we're all in this process together, and if you want prayer or you want to talk more about it, um, I'm going to have Barry put my email on the screen. Please send us an email. Send an email to any of the elders if you want prayer. We don't want to be, listen, we're separated by a video screen right now, but we are completely available to you to pray for you. Um, Are you having trouble in your marriage? We want to help. Are you having trouble in your parenting? Please let us help. We're We're not saying we're perfect in any of this. But we do want you to hear that we are here for you and we are with you. So please let us be there and let us be that, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you, God, so much that your word challenges me and encourages me. It challenges me in that I know that I'm not perfect in any of this, Lord. And God, I know that you bring these things to light, Jesus, because you love me, not because you're ashamed of me, God, but because I am in you, you will, you put the effort and love into caring for me and not letting me just continue on in folly, Lord. And Lord, uh, yeah, you just, you just encourage me, God, constantly because I fall short so much, God, in so many things. And yet um, when I confess them and when I bring them to you, Lord, you are gracious You are gracious to forgive and cleanse. And Father, um, you make all things new, Lord. So Father, I just want to pray right now. God, if there are struggling marriages at Arise, if there are struggling parents at Arise, if there are um, needs in in any of the family dynamics, Lord, even for our single family members out there, Lord, God, we just pray, Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would reach out, Lord, and that they would, um, yeah, that, Lord, that they would let us, Lord, participate in carrying the burden with them. And I pray also that you would give them peace. Um, Because I know at times, Lord, it's hard to be in that single place and hear passages like this. And for, I know for some, Lord, that it's their desire to be married and it's their desire to have children. And so, God, uh, for both men and women, Lord. And so, God, I just want to pray Uh, all these things. And I pray, God, I thank you, Jesus, for your grace. 
that covers every part of this process for us and for everybody who is in you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.